Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading today comes from Psalm 96, verses 1 through 9. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him, all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Again, the lectionary, the calendar of readings for the church year, um, is more timely than we like to admit sometimes. It seems the Spirit is well aware of what God is up to in the world. So listen now for God's word to you and to me as well. Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. A trap of sorts is being laid for Jesus here. And the ones setting the trap want Jesus to choose one side over the other. 
they want to box Jesus in so they can label him as this or that. They are growing frustrated by Jesus' independence. He is not easily labeled or co-opted, and they are growing tired of it. His independence is destabilizing and infuriating. And so they want to, they, they have to box him in. Sound familiar? We don't understand someone, or we are not understood, and so we reach for a convenient label to simplify the situation. Someone does not think like us or act like us, and rather than seeking to understand why that is the case, we all search for a way to clearly define who and what they are. We put them in a box. Palestine, the land on which the scene we heard today takes place, is not an independent nation. Palestine is a colonized satellite of the Roman Empire. And this relationship with Rome is problematic for many of its residents who hold deeply religious convictions, especially those who identify with the God of Israel, a God who commands complete and utter loyalty. What is a good God-fearing Jew to do when the Roman emperor, who sees himself as a god, requires a tax, a tribute, from all his subjects? Should they give their hard-earned money to support an idolatrous state and its cult of emperor worship, or should they withhold the tax and make a statement against Rome and all her false gods? The coin used for this tax illustrates the struggle pretty well. A silver denarius minted specifically for the payment of the tax. On one side was an image of Tiberius Caesar, and on the other side his mother, Livia. And along the edge of the coin were the words, Tiberius Caesar, worshipful son of the divine Augustus. The coin in question was a literal portable idol, a pocket-sized symbol of their oppression. Which is why this question brought to Jesus is a loaded one. Into a society torn apart by competing loyalties, interests, and religious perspectives, Jesus is forced by those who oppose him, he's forced by them to make a choice. Think back to the last time someone put you in a bind by forcing you to answer a question you knew would box you in. Perhaps it was your spouse. They're really good at that. Maybe it was your child. They're even better. Or perhaps someone on social media who called you out or an old friend who knows you really well. When was the last time someone put you in a box, or at least tried to? The recent presidential and vice presidential debates reminded me how a carefully crafted question can really box someone in, put him in a corner. The trick is to put before your opponent a clear choice, a question that can only be answered with a simple yes or a simple no, 
no ambiguity, no complexity, just this or that. Did you know about the corruption? Would you raise will you raise taxes for that particular program? Will you expand the court? Will you release your tax returns? Simple questions that when answered by an opponent, put them in a box. A box from which they'll likely spend the remaining years of their lives trying to climb out of. Now the two parties loyal, two parties laying a trap, excuse me, today for Jesus, these two groups that come together are not normally friendly. The Herodians, a sect of Hellenistic Jews, were friends of Roman political power. And the Pharisees, the biblical scholars of the day, were friends of Israel's religious power. But these two political and religious opponents come together around a common enemy in Jesus. His popularity with the people threatens the fragile political alliance the Herodians have with Rome and the special relationship the Pharisees have with the Jewish people. Jesus is an independent actor in their two-party system, and they are tired of the freedom this gives him. And so they finally agree on something. It's time to make Jesus choose a side. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, or is it not? Answering this question is a lose-lose proposition for Jesus. An affirmative answer alienates the religious leadership, while a firm no puts him on the crosshairs of Rome. Two boxes have been opened up, and Herodians and Pharisees wait and watch to see which one Jesus will jump right in. We love doing that. We love putting people in one camp or the other. We love putting them in a box that makes them easy to label and to understand. Republican or Democrat, Christian or non-Christian, conservative or liberal, gay or straight, good or bad, smart or stupid, racist or woke, right or wrong. We love to build boxes, shove people into them, and then seal them up with packing tape. Even the two characters in this scene illustrate our obsession with a two-party worldview, despite the image they would like to convey to Jesus. These higher-ups in Herod's inner circle and these Pharisees do not speak for or represent all the people of Palestine. I mean, to the right of the Herodians, there are people to the right of them, are the Roman militia with their spears ready to kill any traitors to Rome. And to the left of the Pharisees are the religious revolutionaries with their daggers, ready to stab anyone who's disloyal to the cause. And between these two extremes, the majority of the people of Palestine reside, people who do not like being subservient to Rome, but they appreciate the progress and protection Rome provides. People who do not like all the teachings of the Pharisees, but still turn to them for guidance from time to time. The Herodians and the Pharisees are laying a trap for someone they can't control or understand. And like every trap laid, it does not serve the people at large, it serves their own self-interests. The Herodians and Pharisees need their boxes, their labels, and their categories so they can keep their power and their place with the people. 
Back in the 1960s, a research psychologist named Bob Rosenthal performed an experiment in his lab with a bunch of average lab rats, literal rats. One night after everyone else had left the lab, he went around and hung a sign on each of the rats' cages. Some of the signs said that the rat in this cage was incredibly smart. The other signs said the rat in this cage was incredibly stupid. Neither sign was true, at least not in any way Rosenthal had verified. The signs were randomly placed in all the cages. Then Rosenthal brought a group of experimenters into the lab and assigned each of them a rat, telling them that their rat was either one of the incredibly smart ones or one of the incredibly stupid ones. And the experimenter's job was to run the rat through a maze and record how well it did. It turns out that an individual rat's performance in the maze directly correlated with whether the rat's handler thought it was one of the smart rats or one of the stupid ones. And the correlation wasn't even close. The so-called smart rats did almost twice as well as the so-called stupid ones. Rosenthal hypothesized that the expectations in the heads of the experimenters changed the way they interacted with the rats, with their rats, particularly the ways they handled the rats and touched them and cared for them. And scientists had already proven that the way rats are handled and touched and cared for greatly affects their performance. I am absolutely convinced one of the reasons there is so much anxiety and depression and division and anger in our society today is because we have bought into the categories, labels, and boxes perpetuated by those desperate to keep up the illusion of a two-party world, an illusion that supports primarily their own power and place. We know, we know from experience, from personal experience, that people are more complex, more diverse, more varied than the boxes we love to put them in. But we've convinced ourselves, or perhaps we've been convinced, I don't know, that it's easier to live in a world where people are easily labeled and understood. Because once we put someone in a box, we can respond accordingly, either drawing them close or pushing them away. This is always the temptation of radical politics or radical theology, the othering of some in the support of others. And Jesus the Christ is pretty clear about his feelings regarding this strategy. Fundamentalism, fundamentalism of every kind is a distortion of God's will in that it either tries to make our worldview gods or our personal perspective divinely inspired. To be a fundamentalist, either the left or the right, is to live in a world full of boxes where everyone and everything can be categorized. To live on the extremes of any ideology is to write off everyone who doesn't look, think, or act like we do. And while we love this strategy and the clarity it provides, Jesus does not. And the reason is simple, I think. You can't love someone when you're boxing them in. 
the two groups who have come to trap Jesus were normally at odds. But they have a common enemy in Jesus because he wants the people to embrace the beautiful complexity, not the tempting simplicity that is human life. Show me the coin used for the tax. They bring him a coin. Whose, whose head is this and whose title, he asked them. The emperor's, they say. Then he says, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. This response, I'm not sure you can call it an answer, this response has been debated by theologians for centuries, and there is no real consensus on what exactly Jesus is trying to say here with this response. Is he showing his deep disinterest in the question itself? reflecting a belief that taxes and politics are irrelevant to people of faith when compared to the surpassing reality of God and God's kingdom? Is he, is he giving a positive view of the state of civil government, uplifting its role as an instrument of God's will for the people, reminding us to, to pay our taxes and get involved in the political process? Or is he teaching us that since everything belongs to God, Rome should get absolutely nothing, not even that small coin in your pocket? all possible interpretations, and there are others, and they are all deserving of their own particular sermon. But as Presbyterian theologian Robert McAfee Brown once said, while Christians will continue to answer the Caesar question in different ways, it is the debate over the question that is at the heart of the matter. God willing, in two weeks we will learn who our next president will be. But regardless of who wins this election, half the country will still look upon the other half with deep disdain until some of us are willing to throw out all the boxes we have lying around the house. And I want to know, what if we were those people? What would happen in our nation's civil discourse if the followers of the one who refused to be put in a box decide to no longer put others in boxes too? What would happen to our nation's sense of solidarity if people of faith embrace complexity and not simplicity and compassion over uniformity? What would happen to the church's witness, to our church's witness, if we refuse to allow ourselves to be pawns in someone else's game? The labels of left and right, progressive and conservative, Democrat and Republican, they mean absolutely nothing to God. If we were to ask Jesus whose side he was on in the current wrestling match between the Herodians and the Pharisees of our day, I'm certain Jesus would not even accept the premise of the question. Our nation and our world desperately need more people who are free, free from party loyalty, from blind party loyalty or religious extremism. The world needs more people like you who are motivated every day by compassion and grace. People who love other people and who refuse to box themselves or others in. Amen.